0: The text for this morning's sermon is Deuteronomy 14, the verses 22 to 29. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine. And of your oil, and the firstborn of your flock and herd, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money, and bind up the money in your hand, and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money for whatever you desire oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns and the Levite, because because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this weekend we may celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a harvest festival. At this time of year, we remember with thankfulness the Lord's blessings on our crops and labor. We give thanks for the Lord's abundant provision for us. Last summer, Manitoba was experiencing a third year of drought. Experts predicted that it would take many years, perhaps even a decade, for our water table to rise again, but decent winter snowfall and a very wet spring have alleviated our drought. The crops in the field, the produce in our gardens, and the feed for livestock have all grown wow. There's been plenty of work for us to do to earn income and support our families. We see that our good God has made provision for our bodily needs once more. So what do you do when you are blessed? You give thanks. Thanksgiving Day has been officially celebrated as an annual holiday in Canada since 1879, when Parliament designated a national day of Thanksgiving. At that point, the date was not yet fixed. In 1957, the Governor-General issued proclamations stating a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed to be observed on the second Monday in October. At that time, there was still a public recognition that Thanksgiving Day was about thanking God for all his blessings. Yeah, we can trace the origins of a Thanksgiving Day back to a much earlier time. Many will point to the first settlers in North America who celebrated God's provision for them on a new continent with a Thanksgiving celebration back in 1621. Yet yeah, the real origins for such a celebration can be found back in Israel's history. After the Lord led his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, He commanded them to celebrate various harvest festivals. There they celebrated their deliverance from slavery and God's provision for them in the Promised Land. These festivals included the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. The Lord commanded his people to gather together in a central sanctuary to celebrate his grace and goodness towards them. Three times a year, all the males in Israel were to appear before the Lord God. When they came to celebrate these feasts, they were not allowed to appear before the Lord empty-handed. The Lord commanded them to bring their burnt offerings and sacrifices, their tithes and contributions, their vow and freewill offerings, and the firstborn of their flocks and their herds. What is striking about our text this morning is the Lord's intent in commanding his people to bring their tithes and their offerings to him. This was not a legalistic demand from a harsh God. The intent was that Israel come up before the Lord to celebrate a feast before him. In Deuteronomy 14.26, the Lord commanded his people, you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. God commands eating and rejoicing. He wants his people to enjoy close communion with him and with each other. And so on this Thanksgiving weekend, I summarize for you God's word under the following theme. In our Thanksgiving celebrations, the Lord commands us to eat and to rejoice in him. We'll consider Israel's thanksgiving celebrations in the Promised Land and our thanksgiving celebrations today. Our text begins with a command about tithing and about offering their first fruits to the Lord. The Lord commanded his people, "'You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat a tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil.'" and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So what is tithing? Well, Tithing is setting apart the first tenth of the produce of the land and dedicating it to God. In Leviticus 27, the Lord had already commanded his people every tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. Thus, tithing is giving a tenth of your income to the Lord. Besides the annual tithes, The Lord also required his people to offer the firstborn of their flocks and their herds to him. This meant that whenever a cow or a sheep gave birth for the first time, the calf or the lamb was to be given to God. In Numbers 18, we learn of the practical reason why God commanded his people to tithe their income. It was to support Aaron and his sons, the tribe of Levi, who served the Lord in leading Israel's worship. The rest of the tribes of Israel received an inheritance in the Promised Land. Every tribe and every family had their own land on which to plant fruit trees and raise crops and graze flocks and herds. But the tribe of Levi did not receive a land inheritance. This tribe was set apart to God. To lead Israel in worship at the sanctuary. The Lord gave Israel's tithes and offerings to the Levites for their material support. The Levites were to tithe what they received and give it in support of the priests. Our reading from Deuteronomy 12 speaks of how the Lord commanded his people not to worship him as the Canaanites worship their gods. The Canaanites worshiped Baal and Asherah, who were known as fertility gods. On the mountains and hills and under every green tree, they would present sacrifices and offerings and engage in feasts which included drunkenness and sexual immorality. The Lord did not want his people to think that their blessings came from these Canaanite gods. He didn't want them to practice drunkenness and immorality. Thus he commanded his people to worship him in the place where he chose to put his name. We know that under King David, Jerusalem was chosen as the location for the temple. And that King Solomon built it as Israel's central sanctuary. In Deuteronomy 12, the Lord commands his people that it was there, in this central place where he decided to dwell among them, that they were to bring their burnt offerings and sacrifices, their tithes and contributions their vow and free will offerings, and the firstborn of their flocks and their herds. The Lord commanded, "And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households and all you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you." The Lord specifically commands that the Israelites were not allowed to eat from their tithes within their own towns, but that they were to eat them before the Lord and to rejoice. Before him. Our text identifies the main purpose why the Lord requires these tithes and offerings from his people. It was so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. When Israel entered the promised land, they were in danger of either forgetting the Lord or of fearing the gods of the land. They might forget the Lord because when it came to harvest, they might think, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Or else they might think that it was the Canaanite fertility gods that had blessed them and given them their prosperity. Yet the Lord wanted his people to learn to fear him. That's why he required them to tithe and to come before him and eat and celebrate his goodness at their harvest festivals by giving back a tenth of the produce of the land and the firstborn of their animals, the Israelites were acknowledging that all they had came from God. It was a thank offering for his goodness to them. It was an expression of trust, that even though they were giving God back 10% of their earnings, they were confident he would continue to provide all their needs. It's striking to see the ritual that the people went through when they presented their tithes before God. Deuteronomy 26 shows us how the Israelites were to present their tithes before the priest with a confession of faith and trust in the Lord. They were to say, a wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. What this makes clear, beloved, is that the tithes and offerings God required from his people were not a tax for the support of the central sanctuary. The giving of their tithes and offerings was an act of worship. It was giving back to God from out of the abundance with which he provided for his people. It was an expression of thankfulness for the rich blessings he provided for them, not just for their material care, but especially For his spiritual blessings, for redeeming them from slavery in Egypt, and granting them the freedom to worship him in their own land. Our text highlights the celebratory nature of presenting their tithes and offerings to God. The Israelites were commanded to celebrate a feast. Those living close to the central sanctuary were able to take their tithes and offerings to present them to God. For those living far away, that would be a real hassle. It's hard to travel with bushels of grain, fresh fruit, and all kinds of animals. So the Lord made provision for the people living further away. They were allowed to sell their tithes and offerings locally and bring money with them to the feast in Jerusalem. From out of the tithe that they offered to God, they were allowed to eat and drink in a celebratory meal. Please note God's desire for his people to truly celebrate with him in a communal meal. He tells those coming from far away they were allowed to spend their money on whatever they desired. Ox or sheep, wine or strong drink. Whatever their appetite craved. If you didn't like lamb chops, you're allowed to indulge in steak. Steak. If Brussels spouts were not your thing, you could have beans instead. If you preferred wine to beer, you're encouraged to drink whatever you pleased. So why did the Lord encourage his people to eat and drink whatever their hearts desired? Because he wanted his people to eat a festive meal before him. He wanted them to rejoice in all the blessings he had given them. The fact that they were allowed to drink alcohol showed that this was to be a time of rejoicing before God, rejoicing in his steadfast love and faithfulness towards them, rejoicing in his care and provision for their lives, celebrating his grace in redeeming them from slavery and granting them their own inheritance in the promised land. The last verses of our text show that this Thanksgiving celebration was not just between an individual Israelite family and their God. God also wanted them to care for the poor and needy in the land. Remember, the regular tithes and offerings were given to support the Levites and the priests, who did not have land to grow their own crops. The Lord commanded that every three years the tithe of their produce was to be gathered in their towns for the support of the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. These people didn't have land or the means to farm it, and so they didn't have much income. So the Israelites were to set aside a tithe for them in the third and sixth years for their material support. It appears that these tithes were administered by the Levites in the local towns who served in a diaconal role to ensure no one in Israel Went hungry. Our text shows that the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow from each town were to be invited along to join in the celebration of a festal meal at the central sanctuary. All of Israel was to come before the Lord and to eat and to be filled. God's bounty was to be shared in such a manner that everyone could rejoice in his goodness and care over them. Thus the Israelites could show forth their love for God and for their neighbor. Our text ends with a promise. If Israel was faithful in their tithing and in sharing their gifts with the poor and needy, the Lord promises that he would bless the work of their hands. They need not be concerned that giving to him and to others would make them poor. God would provide abundantly from the storehouses of heaven because he truly loved his people and he delighted in doing them good. This brings us to our second point and then we'll consider our Thanksgiving celebrations today. Beloved, we need to recognize that our text is taken out of the Old Testament law. Many of the aspects of the law no longer apply directly to our lives. We are no longer required to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to God to make atonement for our sins. We're not required to gather together at a central sanctuary in Jerusalem to worship there. The laws about Israel's harvest festivals no longer apply to us. We need to recognize that the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Our Belgic Confession summarizes this teaching very well in Article 25. The title of this article is Christ, the Fulfillment of the Law. It says, We believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ, and that the shadows have been fulfilled, so that the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians." What we learn from this is that we're no longer required to present tithes of our income to God. And we're not required to come before him at a centralized place to eat and drink, a harvest festival. Does this mean that all the Old Testament ceremonial laws have no meaning or no application to our lives? Certainly not. Belgian Confession Article 25 continues by stating yet their truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. What was symbolized in the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law has thus been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus Christ presented himself as a sin offering to God. Jesus suffered the hellish agony and the deepest shame of hanging on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. In him, payment has been made for all our sins, and we have been reconciled to God. The question that we face is this. How are we to respond to God's abundant grace and love in Jesus Christ? Practically speaking, does our text provide any lessons for us? What is the truth and substance of the Old Testament laws that still remains for us today? In the first place, just as the Israelites remembered God's love and faithfulness to Abraham's offspring by delivering them from slavery in Egypt, so we need to learn to appreciate God's grace in redeeming us from our sins and from slavery to Satan. God has saved our souls from everlasting condemnation from suffering the hellish punishment we deserve for all our wrongdoing. Instead of being alienated from him, God has welcomed us to live in close fellowship with him. Some people will say that the command to tithe has a universal application because they are afraid that the church will not raise sufficient funds to support its budget They want to legislate that everyone should give a tenth of their income to God. It's understandable that this fear exists. For there are some Christians who give little or nothing of their income back to God. Yet mandating a tithe will not motivate Christian giving. Knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient motivation... For Christian giving. Beloved, are we thankful for God's grace in Christ? If you are thankful, will you not give back a portion of the Lord's gifts to you? In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul explains our motivation for Christian giving. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In the service of God, Jesus did not just give a tithe. He didn't just give 10% of his income. Jesus gave his all. He gave 100%. He offered up his life for us on the cross to pay the price for our sins and to restore us to God. We're called to love God because he first loved us. The New Testament teaches much about Christian giving. Just as the Lord commanded Israel to take care of the priests and Levites, so he commands his church to care for those set aside for the ministry of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9.13, Paul asks, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? He says, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Galatians 6.6 6 says, That the one who is taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. This shows that there is an abiding principle that we learn from the Lord's command that Israel give a tithe of their income to support the priests and Levites. As Christian church, we have an obligation to support the ministry of the gospel. Everyone who earns income should give of their first fruits to the Lord. This not only supports our local pastor, but also those pastors who serve as missionaries, as well as our professors who teach the next generation of pastors at our seminary. Malachi already warned God's people that when they refused to give back to him, they were robbing God. It's not just the ministry of the gospel that requires our support. So do the needy among us. Our text spoke about the tithe that was given in the third and sixth years was in support of the Levite, sojourner, fatherless, and widow. The Old Testament laws show us that God's people have an obligation to care for the poor among them. The apostles instituted the ministry of mercy so that the deacons could organize support for those in need. We're called to support this ministry financially. But, beloved, that's not all. Just like in the celebration of the harvest festivals, the Lord also calls us today to show forth hospitality, generosity, and mercy so that the weak and needy may share abundantly in the joy of God's people. Beloved, have you ever thought about inviting someone from outside your family or circle of friends to enjoy a special occasion like Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner with you? Do you show forth Christ's love for those who might feel lonely or alienated at such times of year? I noted earlier, beloved, that there's no New Testament command for us to tithe our income. So how much should we be giving in support to the ministry of the gospel and to care for the poor and needy among us? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 teach us that our giving is to be generous and sacrificial. It is to be proportional to the means, to the measure of blessings with which the Lord has blessed us. In Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. The New Testament teaches some further principles about giving. Our giving is to be regular. The Old Testament principle of setting aside your first fruits still applies. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside. God should not get our leftovers, if there are any. When we earn income, we are to first give to God. And then to use everything else he has provided for daily life. You ask, but what if I run short? Our text teaches that when we honor God with our blessings, he'll make sure that we never run short. In 2 Corinthians 9, after telling us that God loves a cheerful giver, Paul speaks of how God is able to make all grace abound to us. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, we may abound in every good work. He assures us that God will abundantly supply our needs, so we can give even more to those in need. Our giving is to be cheerful and voluntary. 2 Corinthians 9:7 it says... Everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As church, we request our members to give regular, voluntary contributions. There is no tithe mandate in the church for the ministry of the gospel or the support of the poor. Yet there is a call for regular Proportional, generous, sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary giving. Because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the truth, the substance that remains from the law's teaching in our text. But there's more. As we celebrate Thanksgiving this weekend, let us learn to fear the Lord. Just as Israel was commanded to eat before the Lord and to rejoice in Him, we are to do likewise. No, we are not required to gather at a central meeting place like Israel was in the temple at Jerusalem. But Thanksgiving celebrations should be focused on our thankfulness to God. Our Thanksgiving dinner should be a holy event in which we focus on the Lord's grace and goodness to us. It should involve Bible reading and prayer, that we may be reminded that the food and drink we enjoy, that all our material blessings come from God's fatherly hand. Beloved, it is easy for us to forget the Lord our God in the midst of our material success, It's easy to look at our material blessings and connect them with our own hard work. But through our Thanksgiving celebrations, the Lord is teaching us to fear him always. He wants us to eat and drink, to rejoice in his blessings. But more than that, he wants us to enjoy our celebrations, to eat and drink and be satisfied, so that we might rejoice in him. In our celebration, God wants us to draw near to him, to enjoy true communion with him and with each other. By God's Spirit, may we show forth our thankfulness for all God's blessings as we celebrate Thanksgiving this year. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from hymn 76, stanzas one, two, and four.